Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez, here with Erin Keller. We're continuing to Zoom for our podcast. And this week, we have waterfowl staff specialist with Endow, Russell Wollstenhume. And we also have Pete Schmidt with Ruby Lake National Wildlife Refuge. So thank you both for being here. It's exciting to have you because we're going to be talking about waterfowl. Yeah, it's, it's been too long. I'm excited to talk about it again. It has been. Russell, did I get your yeah. name right finally? <laughs> the closest you've ever got, Ashley, so no. good job on that. I'm so proud. Uh, well, thank you, Pete, too, for being here. We have not had you before, so it's exciting to have someone new on. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. So, um, let's just get right into it like i said we have you here because it's waterfowl season we have some openers for around the state so russell do you just want to talk about some of the openers we have coming up in uh, waterfowl seasons that are already underway right so we have the three waterfowl zones in the state and the northeast zone which which covers the obviously the northeast part of the state their opener was um, on September 26th, that's the earliest opener in the state. The northwest zone, which is the north, the western side of the state, pretty much the entire western side, and that opens on October 10th. And then we have the south zone, which covers down in uh, Clark and Lincoln counties, and their opener is October 17th, with the exception of Overton, which opens on October 31st. Nice. So a lot to look forward to coming right. up. That's, that's a lot of different openers. Yeah. And then so Pete, as Rush, Russell said, um, the Northwest zone or Northeast, excuse me, I'm already butchering this, <laughs> is open over on the Eastern side of the state. And um, so that includes the Ruby Lake National Wildlife Refuge where you are. So how did that opener go? Uh, it was <clears throat> pretty good considering uh, we didn't have a lot of birds here this year uh, for probably because of the weather conditions. Um, but we had a lot of folks show up. We've had a lot of people on the refuge in general this year. And uh, the shooting was pretty good out there. I was kind of surprised. I was out there myself and uh, the ducks were flying and things were good. Okay, so that's some good news for hunters. So, so Pete, let me ask you, wow. Uh, what kind of birds were people getting in their bag, in the bag over there? Um, there were a lot of gadwalls, which we tend to see early in the season. Uh, there were a lot of teal, both uh, green wing and cinnamon teal at this time of year. Um, there's a few mallards, a handful of pintails, a handful of divers. Later in the season, we'll get um, a lot more mallards and a lot more widgeon in the bag, as well as green wing teal. And then there's always a, a good variety of uh, pretty much all the ducks that you'd expect to find out, puddle ducks and the divers as well. Nice. Every, every time I get a cinnamon teal and I send it to my buddy, send a picture that, that don't live in Nevada, they get so jealous. 
that's so rare. And I'm, I always tell them that early in the season, we have quite a few cinnamon teal. And if you know how to target them, they're not that hard to find. That's right. good. Yeah, that's this is a nice, unique area where you can get cinnamon teal uh, early in the season, um, typically. And uh, with those flashy blue wings, they certainly stand out. Russell, were you going to add something? I was just going to say, you know, one of the reasons that we have the different zones within the state is, you know, there's there's different areas. If you look at the weather patterns across the state, that northeast zone has an earlier season, and it's really for two reasons. One is so that we can catch that early teal movement that goes across that part of the state. It's really exciting. I get a lot of hunters that call me and talk to me about that and ask me if we're still going to have the early season opener over there so they can take advantage of that that push of teals that come across the state, but also, you know, higher elevation over there, a little different weather system. So they tend to freeze up. So we're trying to get that season open earlier so that we can get the hunt in before ice over conditions out there. Got it. So people should be heading out there right now to go hunt. In yeah, area. another thing that Russell and I have talked about in the past is with the staggered openers, if a guy wanted or a girl wanted to travel to get some more hunting in, you could travel and hit these openers and extend your season by weeks. And it doesn't cost you anything more. You just have to go. You just have to go. Right, right. I was talking to a guy this morning that went over to the northeast zone up to Wild Horse Reservoir and hunted for the opener over there um, and took full advantage of that opener. And then and when the opener is here on the northwest zone where he lives, He's going to be here for that opener. So, you know, if you're willing to travel, you can get in all those different openers, which is, you know, typically that's one of the hottest days of the year to hunt on is that opener because the, the birds are, are a little less wary that day than later in the season once they've, they've seen a few hunters. And so, how, so how do you pick the dates, Russ? Like it, for anybody listening, I've, you and I have talked about it a bunch, but for anyone listening, how do the dates get set for, you know, the earliest, like you said, the earliest that we hunt to then this year we have a split in, in the season and then when it ends. Can you explain that real quick? Right. So there's a couple of things that, that play a factor in that. The, the outside dates, we call them, the earliest we can open, the latest we can stay open, those are all set through federal regulation, um, primarily through the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. So the earliest we can open, as it reads in the law, which always gets, you know, a little funky, is it's the, the Saturday closest to September 24th. So that might be before the 24th, it might be after, it could fall on the 24th, but then the close can be no later than January 31st. So those are our outside dates. And then beyond that, we kind of look at with the different zones, like I said, we, we break them out kind of geographically based off of weather winter weather patterns, you know? So if we opened October 26th down in the South zone, you know, still gonna be pushing hundred degrees and there's not gonna be a lot of reason to be out trying to hunt in that. And then when the weather finally cools, the season would end before you really had your best hunting. So we're just really trying to maximize the weather conditions and when the best hunting's gonna be based off of both bird movements and weather patterns. And can we talk about some of those conditions, speaking of which? 
um, for this year and how that's going to impact the season. So you're actually you're talking about about uh, marsh conditions, right? Yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes well, sense right there. <laughs> I thought it was a good segue because you said conditions. <laughs> conditions are conditions. Conditions well, are conditions. Why don't we start off with Pete telling us about a little bit more about conditions over uh, Ruby Lake. Thanks, Russell. Um, this year we've seen um, a lot of evaporation. Um, as uh, people may not understand, this is a closed basin. Ruby Lake Marsh itself is fed by springs and then the water either goes into the ground or into the air. There's no outlet. Um, so with the hot weather that we've had this year, the water level is pretty low, but actually in the hunt area, that's not a bad thing. Uh, we can still get around in uh, boats and kayaks and walking pretty easy out there. Uh, we do, we talked about the freeze up. We do start to freeze up, you know, in the beginning or middle of November, but, um, you know, living here in the marsh year round, um, I like to hunt all year long, even on the ice. It's, uh, there's always some open water because of the springs. And so we have a few ducks that hang around. You may not uh, shoot a limited ducks in the day in an afternoon, but uh, it's, uh, it's fun to hunt. This is, this is not the area that you're gonna come at any time of year and shoot a limited ducks in 15 minutes. It's not that type of a place, but it is a place where you can get some solitude, where you're probably gonna get some shooting on any particular day. Uh, we are open seven days a week and we're open all day in accordance with the state regulations. So um, if you just like to come to a place that's really beautiful and uh, get out there and enjoy some waterfowling, this is a great place. Um, it's, as I said, it's typically not crowded. Um, there's some other places that are around here that are also good. Uh, Russell already mentioned Wild Horse Reservoir. Uh, folks also hunt on South Fork or on the Humboldt River jump shooting. And then right next door is Endow's own uh, Franklin Lake Wildlife Management Area, um, which unfortunately is dry this year, but on the years when that's got water, um, the hunting up at Franklin Lake can be phenomenal. And um, so there's lots of opportunity out here. I know for some folks it's um, a little drive to get here. Um, but I think most people find that it's worth it to come on out. I was going to say there's a lot over there. So if you do take the trip there, you could try out different areas. And then something else to point out is while you're out uplinking, or excuse me, hunting for waterfowl, you could also be fishing out there because that's some of our great fishing spots too. So just some ideas. I'm helping people plan their trips out there. When I lived on that side of the state, I used to do, I used to do a lot of jump shooting over there on that side of the state, you know, and there's there's a number of places over there that there's warm springs and it helps keep that water open year round and it's, you know, they might not be big bodies of water, but there's because there's warm springs and the water's open, you always get some ducks sitting there, so there's some good jump shooting opportunities over there. And that's mostly how I hunted that side of the state. So even after the freeze up, you can always, always find an opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Warm springs around Nevada are, um, especially later in the season, they can be hot, hot spots for lack of a better, or a, you know. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's fun of, yeah. 
a lot of geothermal activity going on in the state that, that yeah. helps out. If you can identify those areas and keep an eye on them as a waterfowler, whether or not you can hunt those areas is one thing because they can also serve as a roost and then you can hunt them when they come off of there. But if you do have access to hunt a geothermal area, it's definitely a, a little gem. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. I actually didn't think of that. So I was going to ask why that was, but that makes sense. They're roosting there. So helps you track them. So you guys were already through the first half. It's been 13 minutes. So we will be right back to get more into where you should go to be hunting waterfowl, how the conditions are looking this year. Um, stay with us. You're listening to Nevada Wild. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today we are talking about waterfowl hunting and we have Pete Schmidt here with Ruby Lake National Wildlife Refuge, a beautiful area to go whether you're hunting, fishing, whatever it be, and Russell Wolstenhume with Endow, our waterfowl staff specialist. So two great people to have here for this topic. So thanks again for joining. And um, as we were saying during Thank the Oh, sorry. We have some Zoom delays here and there in this podcast. Like I said, we're still over Zoom, so bear with us. Um, but during the break, Pete, we were talking about, you brought up a good point of how there are different ways to hunt, like to access hunting. So you got to be prepared before heading out there. Do you want to get into that a little bit? Sure. So, um, <clears throat> Ruby Lake is uh, pretty much a large marsh, uh, bulrush marsh with a little bit of cattails. Um, so a lot of it is accessible by boat. You are allowed to have motor boats with uh, motors no greater than 10 horsepower. So mud boats are good um, out in the marsh. Um, it's also a great place to take uh, canoes or kayaks. Um, a lot of the marsh is not uh, readily accessible by walking. There's one um, large area that a lot of people walk to right off the dike that's just only a few hundred yards of walking. And about three years ago, we established some other walk-in trails. We took our uh, amphibious tracked vehicle and basically mashed some paths uh, through the tules into the marsh so folks can park and walk. There's two different areas and there's about nine trails that uh, lead out to places in the marsh that are marked with reflectors so you can find it in the dark. Um, some of those are accessible totally by land. So if you've got a junior hunter, uh, maybe that doesn't have waders, um, you can walk out to the edge of the marsh and set up as long as um, mom or dad has waders to put out decoys and to retrieve ducks. So we tried to make it as accessible as possible to folks. And um, there's also on the south end of the refuge, there's uh, spring ponds that are open to hunting. And later in the season when a lot of the marsh freezes, 
some of the birds move to those spring ponds, and so that's good jump shooting over there. So lots of opportunity here, um, you know, just on the refuge. And then, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of folks will go out to the Humboldt River or other places to jump shoot as well. You know, Aaron, Aaron was mentioning during the break while we were talking about this that as a waterfowl hunter, that's kind of what it's about. You got to know all these different ways of, of boating access, walk-in access, jump shooting, if you want to take full advantage of the season because conditions change throughout the season as the weather changes and as you know water levels change. So having all these things at the ready makes for a long and very enjoyable waterfowl season. About planning ahead. <laughs> yeah, right. and to Pete's point about the the push down um, cattails or those little trails, those are always. I mean, you want to find those when you're not hunting, right? You want to you want to scout those trails out. You want to be watching the birds and where they're going, and then identifying how you're going to get there. And that might be by boat. It might be hiking in or pulling a sled or you know, needing a layout blind or something like that. So definitely want to get out and scout, try and pattern the birds and where they're going, and then that'll determine how you're going to hunt them. Right, right. So, so Pete, I've been taking questions recently from, from a few people calling up and wanting to know about, so generally the refuge hours are an hour before sunrise. But as you know, with waterfowl, it takes a little more time to get yourself set up. So there's... The rules change during the waterfowl season, is that correct? That is correct, Russell. We do open two hours before sunrise, which is, as you know, is an hour and a half before shoot time. So it gives folks a chance to get in there and get set up um, because uh, yeah, an hour before sunrise just isn't enough time. So uh, we do have that concession for waterfowlers down here. Very good. Awesome. Thanks for asking that, Russell. I wouldn't have even thought of that. So that's really good information for people. Um, big money, actually. <laughs> exactly. That's why we always bug you to come into podcasts with us when we're talking waterfowl. <laughs> so, um, Russell, do you want to get into, we've covered Eastern, um, just conditions as those seasons are you know, they're on their way here. We're almost there to the rest of the state opening up. Do you want to get into what hunters can expect in some of the other parts of the state? Right. Well, I'll talk about the northwest part of the state because I'm most familiar with that. So um, the report coming in from Stillwater recently is that, that most of the hunt units flooded. There's a couple of exceptions. Swan Lake and Pintail Bay and Swan Check Lake are they don't have water, but everything else has water. Goose Lake's a little high, but they're in the process of draining that. So it should be ready to go by time, by time the hunt is here. So um, they've been doing a lot of work out there, um, clearing, clearing some of the channels to make boating easier this, this season. So, so that'll be a good thing for hunters out there with boats. At Mason Valley, most of the the northern ponds on the east side of the river are going to be watered up and they're in good condition. They had they had a, a lot of good um, plant growth in there this summer. The ponds on the southeast end and west of the river are all dry. So, um, you know, Pete was talking about some of the drier conditions on this side of the state. So, um, Mason Valley's impacted by the Walker River and its lack of flow sometimes. So, so there's 
some of those ponds will be dry, but the bulk of them on, on the northern end of the, of the management area are available and in great condition. So there'll be good hunting out there. Carson Lake, the uh, sprig units fall and the big water is very close to fall. They've turned water into the rice unit. So it's, it's filling right now. And, and this podcast is a little before it's gonna be aired. So by the time the hunt starts, it should be pretty close to fall. And, and then uh, before, not before the opener, but before the season's too far along, they'll start turning water in, finally into the rice unit. So they'll get it largely filled. So, so the water conditions out at Carson Lake are very good. And because the water's been there all summer in units like the, the sprig, there's a lot, of, a lot of feed available in there, a lot of sago pondweed going on in there. So, so things are looking really good there um, at Carson Lake, sorry, uh, up at Carson Lake. So um, Humboldt Wildlife Management Area, the upper lake has water and a lot of good access there. Lower lake's dry, but out at uh, Toulon, there's a lot of water coming in down the, the Toulon drain right now. So there's a fair amount of water. Um, and from last check, the water was out past the mill. So fair amount of water there. So Conditions in, in the Northwest zone are looking very good. Um, we have the, the benefit on a lot of those bodies of water to get the water allocation out of reservoirs. So even though it's been a dry summer, the allocation was there. So most of the unit, most of the areas have got a 100% of their, of their water allotment for the year, which really helps out. Yeah, that's good to hear. And I'm sure hunters will like hearing that. So, um, and I know you said Northwest zone that's your main area, but um, for those in Southern Nevada, again, here's an opportunity to travel. And then should they just check out our wildlife management areas down there? I know those provide lots of great hunting. Yeah, there's some good areas down there. Paranigat has has a fair amount of, of hunting down there. I don't know what their water conditions are down there. Um, Overton Wildlife Management Area, there's always some good opportunities there. Um, again, I don't know the conditions, but the, as far as I know, things are, are at least decent down there. I don't know if they're as good as they've been the last couple of years, but I know that they're not dry. We've got water on all those units, so, so there's hunting opportunities there as well. Great, and again, you could use the opportunity to travel up to northwest or northeast if you are living in southern Nevada. And that's yeah. the last hunt to open, right? Southern region? Yeah, the southern region. Just because it's so much warmer down there, it takes a bit longer for it to cool down. So we want to wait a little bit. Overton has the latest opening. And the reason for that is if they fill up those ponds too early, then the hard stem, the cattails and things like that growing and get so thick because it's still so warm that it really chokes out the hunting. So they want to delay that for a bit so that there's still a lot of open water for the hunt. Okay. And we're already seeing how excited people are for these hunts. Um, you were saying before we even started the podcast, something worth mentioning is our swan permits are, they're not available anymore, right? Right, right. They are sold out for the year. They sold out by the third week of September, which is the earliest they've ever sold out. So one of the benefits of our new licensing system that we have up is that access for, for, Purchasing permits is a lot simpler now than it ever has been in the past. And people are taking advantage of that. People are taking advantage of the good conditions we've had the last few years. And, you know, just um, 
everybody's out recreating more with with the whole the whole COVID thing going on. Just people are getting out more, and so we're seeing that in a lot of our licensed sales. So, yeah, so those swan permits are sold out. So if you didn't act early, I'm afraid you you've missed out for the year. But there's always you know opportunities next year. So you want to get on those early for those permits. And again, there's plenty of great waterfowl hunting opportunity if you missed out on a swan permit. Where I'm going to go to the most basic question ever. What do you need to hunt waterfowl? You need your hunting license, which you can get at endowlicensing.com and anything else. Right. So if you're going to hunt any, any migratory birds, including waterfowl, you need to have your, your hunting license, you need a federal duck stamp, and you need a HIP number. So... That HIP number helps the, the Fish and Wildlife Service track hunter use and hunter harvest. And a lot of that information is really important that people give that information because it helps drive our management models that we use to regulate the hunting season. So the better the information we get, the better the models run and the better our chances of continuing in the, the liberal seasons that we've had the last decade. Exactly. So, um, and you could just do that on endowlicensing.com. Right? Correct. You, you can get all three of those things, your license, the federal stamp, and your hip number all through the endowlicensing.com. Oh, that's handy. I didn't realize you could even get the federal stamp right. you, there. So that's you, cool. You can get an e-stamp, and this it's a good thing to bring up, Ashley, because a lot of people ask the question. So you when you buy it through endow licensing, you get an electronic stamp, or we call it an e-stamp, and you get a number on your licenses says that you've purchased that stamp and then the Fish and Wildlife Service will mail you a physical stamp in the mail. So your electronic stamp is good for 45 days. And then in that 45 day period, your physical stamp should show up and then you'll have that for the remainder of the season. Good information to have. So get on there, go to endowlicensing.com. One thing before we're out of time. I'm going to plug our podcast from last week where we talk about upland game. There's also great upland game hunting going on. So check out that podcast, get your, all your hunting licenses, your waterfowl stamp and get out there and go hunting. Anything else you guys want to ask or add before we, before we're done? We have a few minutes left. I just want to thank everyone for this opportunity and thank Pete for joining us today. It was great to have him here and have that perspective from his side of the state. Definitely. Thank, Thank you. you. It was my pleasure. Sorry, Pete, I cut you off again. <laughs> but what, what I can see. <laughs> I know, poor Pete. It was really great to have you, and that is such a beautiful part of the state for people to get out to. It's good to hear about. Yeah, I would. I would just add that it's a great time to be outside. There's so many different things going on in Nevada, from migratory birds to upland game to great fishing fall fishing that just get outside go scout go the go check out the water conditions that Russell and Pete were both mentioning and uh, kind of make a trip out of it I agree I and take a kid it. hunting take a kid hunting if you go take somebody with you introduce them to the sport that you love awesome well we are out of time oh Russell what did you say <laughs> zoom it's all zoom's fault <laughs> I just was agreeing with Aaron. I said, absolutely, take a kid out hunting. It's a great day. I, I got my feet wet, so to speak, last weekend with waterfowl hunting by getting my kids out on the youth day in the Northwest zone. We had a great day out there in the marsh and it's just, it's a great way to spend time with kids. 
Awesome. Well, thank you all again. Thank you everyone for listening. That does it for this week's Nevada Wild. again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.